Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. Good morning. I'll be reading Colossians 3.22 through 4.1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Um, just in case you didn't remember the scripture passage, I just want to get on the same page here. When you hear Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 22, like we can all agree that slavery is not a good thing, right? Like we could even say it's not a biblical thing, even though we read Colossians 3, 22, and we say this is the word of God, thanks be to God. We just agreed that God's word said, slaves, obey your masters. I just want to start out with, this is one of those great examples of biblical literacy. When we um, look at Scripture, we have to realize that not everything from Scripture is a direct one-to-one parallel in 21st century, wherever we may live. That we can't just all, you know, we can't look at the Bible every time and say, this is exactly how it applies to my life in this moment. Um, For example, some of you may be familiar with the old youth group practice of throw open the Bible, stick your finger down, and whatever Scripture you land on that day is what God's Word had for you. So I did this in sermon preparation. I flipped open my Bible, and I came to Psalm 108.9. Moab is my wash basin. On Edom I hurl my shoe. Over Philista I shout in triumph. So I started throwing shoes at everybody this week. Just assuming that was what God had for me. That I was going to take this literally, right? So we have to do some brain work. When it comes to scripture, not every scripture is one-to-one parallel. It was written by ancient people in ancient times with ancient metaphors, with ancient stories that we have to do the brain work. We were gifted the brain brain to do the work and see where God has moved civilization, where God has moved society in more positive directions like not having slavery anymore, right? But if we do the brain work, we can see that ancient people who wrote ancient texts in ancient times with ancient stories were trying to preserve eternal truths for us to recognize where God is continuously active and those truths that continuously lead us to God. They served as the middle person so that we might know the ancient eternal truth in the 21st century today. So if you look at Psalm 108, right, I have no idea why, uh, who your Edom is. But when you look at the context of Psalm 108, it's about um, God give me deliverance over my enemies. And and sure, you can take this in a very unhealthy, parallel, one-on-one direction, but when we look at our enemies, like Edom perhaps, or some of you might say addiction, we can get to verse 12 and realize that there are certain helps, there are certain things that we battle that no human element is ever going to defeat. 
And when we come to things like addiction, we need God's help to get us over that hump. Right, so just a short introduction to when you're reading the Bible, when you're reading Colossians 3, 4 through 1, and it says, slaves, obey your masters. It's just a representative of there are so many times in Scripture where we have to do the brain work of what the eternal truth that God is trying to capture, that God is presenting to us, that ancient people are trying to help preserve for us so that we can instill that into our modern context and see where that exactly fits. And so we're bringing in slavery uh, in this context because when, Colo- when, when Paul's writing to the Colossian church, slavery is normal. Paul is using in this entire thing, because you can go back in it a little bit, and it's the um, wives submit to your husbands, husband loves your wives, that scripture passage, slaves um, obey your masters, masters um, treat your slaves with justice and righteousness, um, kids don't talk back to your parents, which that one is a one-to-one parallel, let me just say that. Right? But it's a whole utilization of Paul in what the ideal Roman household, the ideal Jewish household looks like, the way that that ideal in that time looked like, that Paul is using as a metaphor to say this is the order and this is how we should present ourselves in society so that people will listen to us about who Jesus is. Slaves and masters has a parallel because slaves and masters are two very different extremes of the working world. One has all the power, one is powerless, but even more so than just the two different extremes that are supposed to meet in the middle where Jesus is, um, is a different kind of slave. We can see this a little bit in uh, one of the parable, one of the representations of the kingdom of God or the coming kingdom that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 13. He says, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. And this has parallels in European um, American slavery as well, is that some slaves, through reputation or through intelligence, whatever it might be, were gifted a position over other slaves. And can you imagine the dynamics of that middle management there? Can you imagine the dynamics that you are still a slave, you are still beholden to the master, but all of a sudden you're given responsibility over somebody else? And how many of you have responsibility or had responsibility over somebody else as a parent, in the workplace, church, volunteer, something like that, right? Being in charge feels good. You're all shaking your hands, right? You know what it's like. If you've been in that position before where you are over somebody else, especially if you are the boss and you still have a boss, right, then you come to the uncomfortable situation of the boss comes and says, you know what, I need you to trim your budget by 20%. But I also need you to know the names of each person's children so that you can relate to them on a daily basis. Right, these uncomfortable situations where here is the ultimate bottom line of what we are trying to get. This is how you make the, the board of trustees happy. And here is how you have to Manage people in a positive way so that they still feel motivated and loved when they come to work. Right, this middle management is a really hard place. This being in the middle of two extremes is a really tough thing, a really tough spot to be in. And those of you who have been in middle management know this. I, I got a glimpse of this. I, I've, the last job I held outside of the church was an RA in college. So I'm not very versed in the corporate world. Um, but I have felt over the last several months the incredible difficulty 
of trying to hold the middle ground when Jesus prays for unity and the middle ground of forgiveness and the middle ground of grace that comes with everything we know about God's kingdom, holding that middle ground in a world that seems like it has nine different extremist views. And preaching this one message on Sunday when the rest of the week people are going in all sorts of different directions. And I can't imagine for those of you who have to go to work every single day or who are volunteering in positions every single day, who have to hold in tension this middle ground between master and slave. These extremes of employee and boss and somehow being in the middle and trying to get people to coalesce, right? The middle managers may be the unsung heroes of corporate America. Those ones who are able to distill somebody's high vision while still knowing the kids' names and getting it done. And Colossians 3 has a lot to say about the employee part of this, right? Because we can't all be middle managers, but we also are all middle managers. Every one of us has some responsibility to somebody else, and every one of us has responsibilities all our own. In fact, the whole point of this masters and slaves passage is that all of us, no matter if we're working or not working, have some relationship between God and everybody else. And that we are a mediation between those two entities. That we are meant to show God to other people. And specifically when it comes to slaves, it's, there's a lot to say about how they work. How many of you have ever seen the movie Office Space by any chance? How many of you love this movie Office Space? If you haven't seen it and you worked in corporate America, you have to see the movie Office Space. But it's, they coined the term a case of the Mondays. Now, whether you've seen Office Space or not, you know, who knows what a case of the Mondays looks like, right? A case of the Mondays, you wake up, and you know what I feel like? A case of the Mondays comes because church on Sunday is the best thing in the world, right? We've had the pinnacle of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. We've enjoyed the community and the fellowship of Christ. We've had student ministry at night. Everything's perfect. I'm pretty sure this is why Monday is so bad. It's because Sunday is so great. And then all of a sudden, Monday starts, right? And you've got to go to work, and you've got to get the kids ready for school, and they're not excited about it, and everything just flows from this moment. And, and, and it's like we start, the, we start the beginning of Monday with Friday in sight. We assume that every day is going to be terrible until the next break we get. It's kind of like this TV episode where people get home from church, and they're like shedding off their church clothes, and the mom is just completely upset about it and says, oh my gosh, you're acting like animals. What is this? And he goes, this is the best part of the day. It's the longest time of the week until we have to wear church clothes again. All right, case of the Mondays comes, and even though it's something we kind of universally all joke about, we watch each other on Monday. We come to work and we look at our coworkers. We go into the store and we are observing how is this week going to start, right? And, and we're putting all of this power in somebody else's hands. We go to work and we're putting this power and say, how's my boss going to treat me today? How are my employees going to act? Are my coworkers in a good mood? We're putting all of this power in somebody else's decision. And where Paul comes down in Colossians and looks at the slaves and says, that decision about how you work today, that decision about how your week is going to go has nothing to do with the people around you. That decision, that how you're going to work today, has everything to do with the God who loved you on Sunday before Monday. So go and do it like you're doing it for God. And, and not just, I mean, right, not every industry is one-to-one. -one. We talked a little bit about honoring God in different ways, but what Paul's specifically saying is, is when you go in, you need to have the hope of Christ that Monday's not going to be the worst day in the world. 
that if you believe in a God who can make all things well, if you believe in a God who can make all things right, if you believe in a God who can use all things for God's glory, then Monday's really not that bad. And then you have the opportunity that no matter happens on Monday, that you can work hard and you can put your integrity and effort into that moment, and God can use and redeem that moment. If you believe in a God, if you have faith in a God who has a bigger vision of the world, then right, your Monday, just because you had to get out of bed and go to work, is not that bad. And what Paul is telling these employees to look at, these slaves to look at, is to say that if you believe a God of freedom, if you believe in a God that makes it all better, if you believe in a God who's ultimately got a plan to right all wrongs, how do you reflect that on Monday morning when you walk into the office? How do you reflect that when you're in a group project that you really don't want to be with those people, but you're supposed to, well, you're supposed to work equitably with those people? How do you reflect that when the project that comes down the pipe doesn't necessarily suit your strong, uh, your passions, but you know you have to do it for the good of the company. Paul's telling these slaves, basically, have a good attitude. And right, again, let's get on the same page. Slavery is not a good thing. We say employees. That the attitude you present on a Monday morning when you do not want to be there is the attitude that people will gather about how you um, ultimately see the world. And as Christians, as people who are called to follow a Christ who points to that coming kingdom that says there will be a day where no more tear will be shed, let the captives go free, the sick will be healed, all of these big statements that Jesus makes about the coming kingdom where we are supposed to have hope and faith and trust and love in this coming kingdom, that Monday morning dictates how you are managing that relationship between God and the people that you are around. That Monday morning moment of difficulty, the times of hardship, How you act, react, and behave in that situation shows what you have faith in. And so Paul is telling the Colossian, the people in in Colossae, that when it gets hard, when you feel like somebody, when you feel like you don't have control, well, that's the time to show people who really does have control. That's the time to show people that there is ultimately a God who is going to work all things out, and I have faith in that God. And so I can do this task with joy because God will use it for God's glory in some way. One commentator, it was interesting, if you look at this whole passage on masters and slaves, most of it is um, dedicated to the slave portion, the employee portion of it. Maybe that's because employees are the ones who do all the work over the bosses. But um, it's also, this commentator pointed out that the reason Paul... Um, emphasizes integrity and work ethic with the slave is because the gospel message was so powerful that the slaves might be tempted to revolt violently against their masters. Right? When, when Jesus stands up in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 and says, the day of the Lord is upon us, the slaves shall be free, the, you know, all these different big statements and, and all of the ways in which the Pharisees are questioned and challenged, this commentator points out, well, perhaps the slaves would have thought that they have every Um, opportunity to rise up violently against this and and wants to make sure that the slaves are showing the the grace of Christ because once violence enters the equation then more violence enters the equation but what's interesting is that all of this section about slaves employees that's so long then it comes with the the more surprising element for us we read this and the word slaves has such negative connotation in our country's history that we're appalled that we would even maybe read this in, in worship or we have to wrestle with this scripture but if you're reading this in Colossae in the first century 
everybody's fine with the slaves part. In fact, they're probably looking at that and saying, finally, somebody's telling them that they should work hard um, for their masters. But then this little caveat comes in for the other extreme. It says, masters, treat your slaves with fairness. And that is a very unique statement in human history. It's a very unique statement for people who are considered prizes of war or prizes of, of finance that they were able to buy and sell people and conquer people. There are very few examples, in fact, hardly any examples in historical literature where masters are told to have any compassion whatsoever for their slaves. And up until recently, there's very little literature in the business world that tells bosses to have any kind of compassion for their employees whatsoever. It was interesting listening to, um, listening to some uh, just podcasts talking about it, reading books on, on different employment practices and visiting different museums over the history. Um, the working conditions that came about in the Industrial Revolution with like people, um, it was around Labor Day when I was reading all these things and how Labor Day came to be and because people organized to get better working conditions and realizing that there were seven-year-olds that were put to work in factories because they had small fingers. Realizing that there were people who were made to work 90 to 100 hour weeks because they needed to be profitable. It's a very unique time in history that we have corporations that are actually looking out for their employees on some level at all. And yet here the Bible comes in centuries before telling us that the burden cannot be all on the employees if we're going to meet in the middle of Jesus' kingdom. But the masters have to look at their slaves as people too. This is that middle ground, though, right? This is the middle management that we're all trying to be a part of. That's a really tough area. Because when we're in charge, we can get trumped up with authority and say, you know what, they're supposed to work for me. They're supposed to do what I say, right? And there are times, honestly, when I feel that way. Right? When we have this great product of Jesus' love, and we have this great uh, element of faith that we can present to the world, we have this great product of hope that we want to be, be a part of, we want to get people involved in small groups, right? There are so many things that I can look at and say, if you all would just do this, everything would be fine. But that's me, assuming that I'm God, assuming that I know better than you. That's me just looking at you as chess pieces in a church game as opposed to listening to the real needs you have individually and where we may need to craft ministries to best inspire people. Right? We can get so caught up in the authority that we have and on the same level we can get so caught up in the authority we don't have. You know what most of people's problem of middle ground is? Whether it be politics or work or church or wherever it may be, most people's problem with middle ground is that they think it just means you have to make everybody happy. And that's a hard place to be in. Because you won't ever make anybody. You will never meet the bottom line and satisfy your employees all at the same time. You will never get the project done and treat people with utter niceness all at the same time. What Colossians is trying to tell the masters and the employees to meet in the middle by is that when you go to work, you're not worried about making everybody happy. You're worried about honoring God. 
you're consumed with loving God. You're consumed with honoring God with the way that you trust God's providence in your work ethic and the way that you can put forth effort in the most difficult of times. You're trusting God that if you love your neighbor as yourself, that they'll be a good co-worker back to you like you will be to them. You're honoring God, you're trusting God that if you go about your work, then God will use that situation through the Holy, the Holy Spirit will wrap around that situation to become fruit for God's kingdom. So all of us, whether we work in corporate America, volunteer in church, wherever it is, when we're thinking about work as worship, these are some questions Paul wants us to ask ourselves. Are those I am responsible for getting treated fairly? Would they recognize a generous God through me? Would my friends and coworkers be able to tell I trust in God by the way I power through a Monday? Do those around me realize my hope in something beyond my work by the way I do my work and treat those I work with? There's not a single person in here who doesn't get the privilege of being a middle manager. Between the creation of God and the coming kingdom of God, between the love of God and the person God loves, we are the people in the middle who hold Jesus' message of forgiveness and grace and unity. And the way that we work, the way that we love, the way that we relate is a middle ground for people to meet the love of God. Ultimately, that is our purpose in this world, is to love God, love our neighbor as ourselves. And the way that we carry ourselves is that middle ground that people meet God in when they relate with us, when they see us. And I can tell you, as I mentioned earlier, trying to hold together the extremes that seem to be forming on nine different sides in our world, that the worst ministry I've ever done, the worst job I've ever done, is trying to make all nine sides just happy, when my goal in the day was to make nine people happy. The best ministry that I feel like I've ever done, the most I've ever seen a ministry move forward, was when I approached all nine people with the gospel of forgiveness. And I wonder, I wonder what middle ground you hold. I wonder where people are going to see God in you on Monday morning. I wonder when things get tough and there are extremes forming, where people are going to find the grace of Christ. And if they don't find it in you, where are they going to find it? Because we are people that trust that God's way is the best way. And we are people who have been called and said yes to being people of the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we often say that we wish people would meet in the middle. Ultimately, we want them to find their center in you. We want them to know the grace that comes with being able to not fire off an angry email. We want them to, come to know the forgiveness that comes of a boss coaching instead of firing. We want them to know the hard work ethic of a coworker who may still be struggling and the support we can give that coworker as they struggle through life. We want the world to know, Lord, that we are your children. We want them to know that we are your disciples, that, this, that we have given, uh, been given a, a glimpse of a kingdom that is far better than the kingdom that we serve right now, that is far more peaceful, far more humble, far more gracious 
with each other than the way that we are right now, God. And this is not something that we find in the masters. It is not something we find in the slaves, but it is something we find when those two come together. And we find that we are people working with people who are loved by God equally. And so God, may that be our worldview in all things. May that be our worldview in all ways. So that the grace of your son Jesus might become the MO for everyone. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God.